All right, Romans chapter 3 this morning. Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Father, we do pray that you'll guide us as we look at these, uh, these few verses this morning. Teach us, fill me with your spirit. Help me, Lord God, to say only the things I ought to say, to say nothing I should not. Help me to be clear and accurate and practical as I try to teach the word. And uh, help us all, Lord, to be filled with the Spirit to hear as well. Lord, if there's anybody here who has never trusted you, anybody here who needs this message in a very particular way, I pray, Lord, you'd apply it to their hearts. May no one leave this place unjustified today. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's sum up for a moment what we have learned so far in Romans. We've been in Romans for ten weeks now. And here's what we've learned. Mankind is lost apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. We are universally depraved and we are without hope. Even in including that greatest, most privileged group of people uh, that the Bible speaks about, and that's the Jews. We've also learned that the great advantage the Jews had was their possession of the law, God's revealed word. And then thirdly, we learned that the law that they have does not save because it's impossible to keep it. We cannot keep the law. Rather, the great advantage of the law is that it reveals our condition, our lostness, our depravity. It is, as Paul said to the Galatians, our schoolmaster, showing us our need and pointing us to Christ. So that's what we've learned. So the next logical question that ought to come to our mind then is this. If salvation does not come by keeping the law, how then does it come? How can we be saved? And the answer that Paul talks about here and throughout the rest of the book is by faith. By faith. The only way to be justified in the mind of God, no matter who you are, Jew or Gentile, is by faith in Christ's accomplishment on the cross. Look at verse number 28, our text for today. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Justified by faith. Now, that's the antithesis. Isn't that a good word? Antithesis of every other religion on the face of the earth. Only Christianity, biblical Christianity, teaches justification by faith. Let me give you just a few examples, and I'm going to read, uh, read a little bit from uh, another source that I found here that talks about some of this stuff. But a few examples of some other faiths and what they believe. Hinduism. Hinduism has about 330 million gods who must be appeased through some type of ritual. Hinduism is a system of works, things that one must do to reach moksha, the Hindu heaven. It involves the practice of yoga, which, contrary to what many have heard, has never been for improvement of one's health, but is rather a means of dying to one's body in the hope of delivering oneself from the physical realm. This is supposed to yoke one to Brahman, the supreme deity of Hinduism. Reincarnation, a system that supposedly enables one to work one's way to heaven through many births, deaths, and rebirths, is one of the teachings of this religion. And so Hinduism is about works. Buddhism is also all about works. 
Buddha believed that the key to reaching nirvana, which is allegedly the state of perfect peace and happiness, is through an understanding of the Four Noble Truths and by practicing the Noble Eightfold Path. In essence, the Four Noble Truths declare that we endure suffering because of our desires or cravings. These truths, and that's in quotes, claim that suffering will stop when we cease trying to fulfill those desires. According to Buddhism, we can achieve this by following the Noble Eightfold Path, which has the elements of right view, right intention, right speech, right action, right livelihood, right effort, right mindfulness, and right concentration. And notice this is all done by man's achievement. It's all something we do, doing things right in order to reach nirvana. In Islam, paradise is attained when Allah weighs a follower's good works against his bad deeds on a scale at Judgment Day. Here's what the Quran declares. Quote, for those things that are good, remove those that are evil. End quote. It's a quantitative process. Good deeds need to outweigh or blot out evil deeds. From the Quran again, the balance that day will be true. Those whose scale of good works will be heavy will prosper. Those whose scale will be light will find their souls in perdition. Here's an interesting example of what a Muslim faces to get into paradise. This was uh, on April 3rd in 1991. The Egyptian magazine, uh, I don't know how to say this, Akasa, something like that recorded a heated debate between four female journalists and Sheikh Dr. Abdu Al-Monim Al-Nimr. Arab names are so hard to say. Who holds a high position at Al-Azhar Islamic University. One of the journalists asked him, quote, Is the hijab, which is the veil or head covering for women, is the hijab obligatory for women in Islam? If I do not wear the hijab, shall I go to hell? In spite of my other good deeds, I am talking about the decent woman who does not wear the hijab. This was the question. And Dr. Al-Nimr replied, The ordinances in Islam are many, my daughter. Allah made us accountable to each. It means if you do that ordinance, you earn a point. If you neglect one, you lose a point. If you pray, you earn a point. If you do not fast, you lose a point, and so on. He continued, I did not advance a new theory. For every man there is a book in which all his good and evil deeds are recorded, even how do we treat our children. The journalist said, that means if I do not wear the hijab, I will not enter the hell fire without taking into account the rest of my good deeds. And Dr. Al-Nimr replied, my daughter, no one knows who will enter the hell fire. I might be the first one to enter it. Caliph al-Sadiq said, I have no trust concerning Allah's schemes. Even if one of my feet is inside of paradise, who can determine which deed is acceptable and which is not? You do all that you can do, and the accountability is with Allah. You ask him for acceptance. Works. All works. 100% works. In Judaism, heaven is attained by keeping the law and its ceremonies. And obviously that isn't consistent with what the Old Testament teaches, but that has been the practice of Judaism for millennia. But then also consider this. There are a number of Christian, maybe we should put that in quotes, Christian denominations and sects that stress works as necessary for salvation. Things like the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons, the Seventh-day Adventists, the Church of Christ adherents, Roman Catholics, Eastern and Russian Orthodox members, Lutherans, many others. They all include something that must be done in order to attain salvation, whether it's baptism or the sacraments or just adhering to their particular form of worship. 
even some so-called Christian sects would fall into that. And to all of those, Paul would say an emphatic, no, no, we are either saved by works or we are saved by grace. You cannot have both. We are either justified by what we do or we are justified by what Christ already did. It cannot be both. If you flip over to the next chapter, chapter 4 and verse number 4, notice what he says there. He says, now to him who works, the wages are not counted as grace, but as debt. What he's saying there is they're mutually exclusive. You can't have them both. It's either grace or it's works. It's not both. He's going to say the same thing when we get to chapter 11, when he says, if by grace, then it is no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it is no longer grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. They're mutually exclusive. You cannot have both. We're either saved by what we do or by what Christ did. Those are the only two possibilities. And those two ideas are mutually exclusive. Both cannot be true. Both are not true. And the scripture is clear which one is true. It was his message to the Galatians. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Galatians chapter 3 and verse 11, no one is justified by the law in the sight of God is evident, for the just shall live by faith. He said the same things to the Philippians. Philippians chapter 3 and verse number 9, be found in him not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And so we have to ask ourselves a question, don't we? Here's the question. What am I trusting in for my salvation? What am I trusting in for my justification? What is it that I believe will get me to heaven? And you see, there's only one right answer. There's only one. The only way to be justified in the mind of God, no matter who you are, is by faith in Christ's accomplishment on the cross. Justification by faith. It's the grand doctrine that's all throughout the book of Romans. Permeates every chapter and every other truth Paul is going to discuss from here on out builds on this fact that we are justified by faith. There are three different consequences, I guess, that he mentions here in the verses that we read that flow out of that. If we are justified by faith, then these three things are true. Here's the first one. Justification by faith. If we're justified by faith, nobody can boast. Nobody can boast. Look at verse number 27. Where is boasting then? It is excluded. By what law? Of works? No, but by the law of faith. If it's all due to Christ's accomplishments, if it's all due to Him and none due to mine, then what do I have to boast about? If it's all due to Christ's accomplishments and none due to yours, what do you have to boast about? About And the answer is nothing. Think about this. If it is solely, solely, solely based on the merits of another, Jesus Christ, completely divorced from any of our own feeble attempts at good works, at fulfilling the law, there's nothing we can boast about with respect to our salvation. None of us. I remind you of the question that we're trying to answer this morning, which is this. What is it that I'm trusting in to justify myself before God? And maybe it'll help you to answer that and to really see what you're trusting in. If you ask yourself, what do I boast about? What do I look into my heart and take pride in 
as far as what I think is keeping me righteous, keeping me right before God. What do I inwardly boast about? James Montgomery Boyce, in his thoughts on this passage, mentions several areas where people tend to boast. Let me share some of them with you and see if you find yourself in this list. Because it's a convicting list. One is morality. Morality. Some people seem to think that they are more moral than others. The fact is, some people are more moral than others. Some people do live more moral, cleaner, purer lives, outwardly moral than others. Jesus told about a guy like that. Remember him? Remember the story of the Pharisee and the publican? Listen to what he said. Uh, He spoke this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and despised others. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I possess. And the tax collector, standing afar off, would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified, rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbled himself will be exalted. Do we have any reason to believe the Pharisee was lying? Do we have any reason to believe that the Pharisee was not everything that he said he was? I don't think we do. I think the Pharisee probably was every bit just as moral as he said he was. I don't think there's any evidence that he mistreated or cheated others. I think he was just in his dealings. I think he was chaste and pure in his sexual relations. I think he was meticulous in observing the requirements of his religion. I think he really was more moral than the publican who he was looking down on right there. But you see, his problem was he was comparing himself to another man. He said... I thank you that I am not like other men. And see, there we have a problem. We might be able to do that. You might be able to do that. You might be able to compare yourself to everybody you know and walk away and say that you're boastful and proud. You might be able to say, I'm better than them. I live cleaner than them. I'm more moral than them. But see, we can't boast about our morality. Try comparing yourself to the only true Uh, comparison. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. The only really righteous person that ever lived, and suddenly you find you can't measure up. And suddenly you find that you don't have any level of morality at all. Suddenly you find you're not clean. Suddenly you find you're pretty dirty. You're not good. You're not righteous. You're a sinner. And so if your boast is in your morality, you're lost. If that's what you're trusting to get you to heaven, you're lost. You're not saved. Another thing people might trust in is their feelings. Their feelings. Some people trust in and boast of some feeling or feelings that they have had sometime, some experience that they've had. Maybe, maybe they sat through a particularly moving worship service somewhere along the line. They were emotionally moved by it. Maybe they sat across the table from someone who shared the gospel with them. And their heart was broken and they wept in that feeling alone is what they're trusting in. I, I sat across my kitchen table one time and shared the gospel with a young lady. And she was so visibly moved by this, she started crying visibly as I shared the Romans road with her. I remember the tears running down her face and dripping on my kitchen table. And she did trust Christ that night. But it was not those tears that saved her. And it was not that feeling that saved her. It was not that emotion that saved her. It was Christ and Christ alone. If she was trusting in the feeling, then she's still lost. 
I might ask you how you know you're saved and then what are you trusting? Share with me your testimony. And you might respond as many people do. Well, I was in this service one time and the service was particularly moving and the pastor seemed to be preaching right at me. And I look back to that and I think that must have been the Lord working in my life. Such an overwhelming feeling came over me. It must have been real. I've never felt anything else like that. If that's what you're trusting in, you're lost. Feelings don't save us. Christ saves us, and only Christ. Some people might boast of their works, charitable works, good works. The Pharisee would be an example of this as well. He boasted of his morality, but I think he also was boasting of his good works. You know, even if our works are predominantly good, even if our works are better than anybody else's on earth, my Bible still has Isaiah chapter six, uh, 64 in it that says all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. That's not good enough. My Bible still has Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 8 in it that says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works. Not of works. Lest anyone should boast. So many people think that if a person does good things, that will get them to heaven. So many people think, just like the, the example from Islam a while ago, that one of these days we're going to stand before God and there's going to be a great scale and our good works are going to be piled on one side and our bad works are going to be piled on the other and as long as the good works outnumber the bad, we're in. It's amazing to me how many people who sit in churches like this one believe that way. And yet that is not the case. Paul says, no, no, no. Your good works are not worthy of boasting either. No matter how good you are, they are not good enough. Remember what he said earlier? There is none righteous. No, not one. Our works are not good enough. I wonder. Let me ask you a question. You think Mother Teresa is in heaven today? Mother Teresa. Few people would bubble higher up the list of people who did good things than Mother Teresa. Most people, when you hear her name, are going to say, Wow, she did so many charitable deeds. She did so many great things. Many are going to look at her record of sacrifice and accomplishment and think, If Mother Teresa isn't in heaven, how could anybody ever make it there? Is Mother Teresa in heaven today? Again, I remind you of Isaiah chapter 64 and verse 6. We are all like an unclean thing. All our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. The very best works we can muster are not good enough. They're not clean enough. Years ago, had a sweeper salesman come to our house. And Beth and I sat there in our living room and listened to this amazing presentation by this sweeper salesman. And I recall with horror as he poured a big pile of dirt and slop all over my living room floor and said, I'm going to sweep that up. Do you believe I can sweep that up? And I said, yes. So he took his sweeper and swept it up and it was all gone. And I said, well, my sweeper would do that too. I'm not impressed. And he said, all right, let's try that. So I fell right into his trap. He went and got my old crummy sweeper. He poured dirt on the floor and he swept it up. And he said, well, does it look clean to you? And I said, yeah, it looks just as clean as the one you just did. And then he took his sweeper. And swept it up, and of course, there was a whole bunch more dirt right there. Even though it looked clean, it was not clean. And so it is with us. Our works might look clean. We might have a ton of them. All kinds of charitable works. But my Bible still tells me it's not enough. Mother Teresa may or may not be in heaven today, I don't know, but I'll tell you this. If Mother Teresa was trusting in her works, she is not. And any of us who would be trusting in our charitable works, if that's what we're trusting in, we're lost. We're on our way to hell. You're not saved. Another thing people might trust in or boast of is their knowledge. Bible knowledge. 
You know, you can know the Bible inside and out and still die and go to hell. You can have it memorized and still go to hell. You can know Hebrew and Greek. You can understand systematic theology. You can understand all of the all of the uh, passages of Scripture. But if you are boasting in that level of intellectual superiority and think that's going to get you there, it's not. Hell is your destination. Jack Van Impey is a uh, evangelist in Michigan who is oftentimes referred to as the walking Bible because he claims to have memorized the entire Bible. I don't know if that's true, and I've never sat down and listened to him rattle the whole thing off, but he claims to have memorized the entire Bible. Years ago, I took a busload of kids to the Bill Rice Ranch. I can't remember where that is, Tennessee maybe, for a week. Every day there were chapel services at that particular camp, and there was a speaker there, I remember, who had done the same thing, claimed that he had memorized the entire Bible. And in his case, it had been a matter of necessity. He had been diagnosed with some kind of a condition of his eyes, and his doctor said, you're going to go blind very, very shortly. And so in great terror and fear, he set out to memorize, and he memorized, uh, if not the whole Bible, uh, an awful lot of it. Will these guys be in heaven? They memorized the whole Bible. They have better Bible knowledge than anybody in this room, certainly more than me. Are they going to be in heaven? Well, if their boast is in their superior knowledge of Scripture, if that's what they think their Bible knowledge is getting there, the answer is no. One man said, the devil understands doctrine far better than we do. And he is perishing. And so if that's what you're trusting in, if that's what you're boasting in, you're lost. So think about this. We could go on and on with this. There's all kinds of things we could list, but just think about this. If you are trusting in and boasting in anything other than what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary for you, you're not saved. You're not saved. Let me say it again, just so you make sure you're here. If you're trusting in anything other than what Jesus Christ did on the cross for you, Anything, no matter how good it might sound to you, no matter how good it might sound to me or anybody else, if you're trusting in anything other than what Jesus Christ did on the cross in your place, you are not saved. And you're on your way to hell. Paul said in verse 28, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. That little phrase, apart from, is interesting. It means without It means besides. It means independent from. It means that our justification is is completely by faith. Completely separate from the deeds of the law. Without the deeds of the law. Independent from the deeds of the law. As one man said, in other words, the meriting cause lies wholly in Christ and wholly outside the man's conduct. And all of the examples we've mentioned this morning are examples of works in which we might boast. And if they describe what we boast in, if we look into our heart, we see it there. Well, we have nothing to boast about. If we are justified by faith in the finished work of Christ on the cross, there's nothing to boast about except Christ on the cross. That's what Paul said in Galatians chapter 6. He said, God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Jesus did it all. He did it all. And so I ask again, what are you trusting in? What are you trusting in? Paul makes a couple more observations here. I'll just mention these quickly. And uh, you can think about them more on your own. If justification by truth is, or by faith is true, then everybody is saved the same way. 
Everybody's saved the same way. There's only one way. That's what he says in verses 28 through 30. He says, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. We won't spend a lot of time on this. We just think about it. Here's what he's saying there. There's only one way to heaven. There's only one way to God. All religions do not lead to the same God. All roads do not lead to salvation. There is only one way. It is not arrogance that prompts me or any other Bible-believing Christian to make that claim. It is simply truth. It is simply what the Bible teaches. Whether Jew or Gentile, you are justified the same way. There is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. You might say, as some of my people that I work with say, Preacher, I, uh, I find the teachings of Buddha enlightening, entertaining, interesting. You know, he might use different words. He might talk about the different things. He might call it nirvana instead of heaven and things like that. But I think his way is right. I prefer his way. Well, then, I have to say, based on the Bible, that you're lost and you're on your way to hell. And I hope you don't take offense at that. Because Jesus said it very clearly. There is only one way to heaven. There is only one path to salvation. There is only one road. There is only one way. There is only one means of justification. Because there is one God who will justify the the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith the same way. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it. Because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life and there are few who find it. He said in John chapter 14 and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. How clear can that be? Only one way. No one comes to the Father except through me. Acts chapter 4 and verse number 12, Nor is there salvation in any other. There is no other name under heaven, given among men by which we must be saved. Not Buddha, not Confucius, not anybody else. Not any of the 330 million gods of Hinduism. No other name. Only one. And if you think about it, this is not really a restriction at all, as some might consider it. Paul has spent all this time now in, 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 in the first three chapters of Romans talking about the universal lostness of mankind. And you know now what he's talking about? He's talking about the universal opportunity of mankind. All have the same opportunity to be saved and to trust Jesus Christ. Only one way. Third thing. Third consequence. If justification by faith is true then we now have the only way that the law can be fulfilled. The only way it can be fulfilled. Look at verse 31. He says, Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. We have seen over and over again that we cannot fulfill the law. We've seen that. Paul has made that clear. But Jesus did fulfill it. He fulfilled it. And when we believe in Him, when we trust in His finished work on the cross, rather than our own insufficient works, then we're justified by faith, and then the law is fulfilled in Him. In Him. You know, in the next chapter, in chapter 4, when we get there, we're going to learn a wonderful word. You might want to start thinking about this word. It's the word imputation. It's a great word. Imputation. Imputation means... 
credited to the account. Christ's righteousness is credited to my account. It's imputed to me. And we're going to learn that when we are justified by faith, because we believe in Christ, that His righteousness is imputed to us. It's accredited to our account. All the righteousness of Christ has is credited to my account. And the same thing is true here. His complete fulfillment of God's law is imputed to us as well. We fulfill the law through His fulfilling the law. And I'll leave you to chew on that one a little bit until we get to chapter 4. So we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. And so let me finish where I started. Let me ask the question again. What are you trusting in to get you to heaven? What are you trusting in to justify you? If you heard nothing else this morning, I hope you heard this. If you're trusting in anything other than Jesus, you're trusting in a lie. And when you close your eyes in death here, you will open them in hell there. If you're trusting in anything else. And so I pray this morning, you will throw aside every objection and just turn to Christ. I pray this morning that you'll call upon Him. I pray this morning that you'll ask for the salvation that He offers. I pray that you'll believe Him and only Him today. I pray you'll bow before Him and pray. Pray something like this. Lord Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm lost. I know you died for me. And I know that you died in my place. I believe you. And from this moment, I trust you and you alone. Pray that. Believe that. Be justified.